Well, friends, happy Mother's Day. If we haven't met, my name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today is a day that can be complex, uh, and I think it's important to, to realize two things can be true. In the book of Romans, it says that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so whatever mixture you may have, this can be both a tough day and a day of celebration, and we can bring all of that uh, to God as we worship together this morning. I'm interested, and I really, this is not rhetorical, I'd love to hear you just shout it out. Does anybody in here have a connection to somebody famous? Like, I need to know who it is. Somebody knows Chuck Berry. AJ, I'm going to give you 10 bucks for bailing me out. So AJ's, AJ's dad... Uh, worked with Chuck Berry. AJ knows Chuck Berry personally. How awesome is that? He's got a statue uh, near Delmar, I believe, on Delmar Street in St. Louis. And AJ can say he knows him. That's awesome. Uh, I put this out on my uh, social media page, and my friend Ann knew Scott Bakula in high school. Shout out to Quantum Leap, which was an early 90s sitcom. There it is. So she went to high school with Scott Bakula. Easily the only Quantum Leap reference you're going to hear at any church in America today <laughs> that keeps you coming back. Uh, my friend Carolyn, her grandpa, played football for the Bears and the Eagles. Now, I don't, I've never known any celebrities. I've only had a few brushes with them. Uh, the, my three big ones were I once saw Kevin Bacon at a sushi restaurant in Pittsburgh. I ran into Dick Vermeil, former coach of the Chiefs, on the plaza. And I was at the Houston Galleria in Houston, Texas, and Michael Jackson was there, and people were losing their minds. Uh, they were just going nuts. Now, I know about these celebrities. You know, I could name Kevin Bacon movies, or I could tell you what teams Coach Vermeil coached. I could hum Thriller. But I don't know these celebrities in, in any actual relationship, right? There's a difference between those things. And I think the same can be said about God. Right? There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And what I hope we'll discover together today as we study God's word is that the difference between knowing about God and knowing God is the Holy Spirit. That's the subject of our sermon series, Wind and Wonder. For the next several weeks, we're going to be focused on this concept of the Holy Spirit. Because at the core of Christianity is a complex concept. It's called the Trinity, that we worship one God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, people can, you know, kind of understand or they can mentally get their heads around, all right, there had to be something that created things from nothing, and so we can call that God the Father. And they kind of think of God the Father as the, the, the boss or the, the, the head. And then in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, we read about Jesus, and that was a huge part of his mission, coming to help us understand what God is like by becoming like us, a person. And so we can read about Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. Okay, I can get there. And then you get to the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like the weird uncle in the family. <laughs> For some of us, it's like, I just would rather avoid this, try and have as little to do as possible. I don't really get it. And so that's what we're going to be looking at the next several weeks. Tess did an amazing job last week preaching. And she's back this week playing. Is there anybody that has more talent than Tess? Is there anything Tess can't do? Come on. So I got I to gotta follow that this week. Uh, but even if, if we believe the heavens and the earth were created by God and that God was revealed in Jesus in human form, 
how does the Holy Spirit work? It can be complex and confounding. To paraphrase a line I heard in seminary, if you deny the Trinity, you're in danger of heresy or going off the path of Christianity. If you try to fully understand the Trinity, you're in danger of insanity. So there's a tension here between knowing God and also, as we'll see, God is very mysterious. So that's why we're going to be exploring these next several weeks, the Holy Spirit. And in the Gospel of John, we get some great intel from Jesus about the Holy Spirit. John is one of the first four books in the second half of the Bible. They're called the Gospels, and that's a word that simply means good news. And so these are biographies of Jesus and the good news of his life and death and resurrection. And in this episode, in chapter 3 of the book of John, Jesus has made an unlikely friend with someone from a group of people that typically opposes him. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 of John chapter 3, starting with verses 1 through 2. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Has anybody ever saw someone teepeeing another house during the day? No, never. Because that stuff happens at night because you don't want to get caught, right? Things we don't want to be known are generally done under the cover of night. That's what Nicodemus does with Jesus. It tells us a lot that he comes at night because this is something he'd rather keep hidden. That he, his peers would not approve of him approaching Jesus like this and giving him legitimacy. Nicodemus was a member of the highest court in, in, in Jerusalem. You could consider it like the Jewish Supreme Court. So it's very shocking that he would associate with Jesus. And he apparently doesn't want to be seen with the enemy, but he's still drawn to Jesus' ministry. And he has these questions for him. Reading on in verse 3 and 4, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Please believe me, this was not an intentional Mother's Day segue, okay? <laughs> I, I believe it. So Nicodemus gets real literal here, but he's missing the point. Jesus is correcting the prevailing notion at the time. That being born Jewish and knowing about God is sufficient for a basis of relationship. Jesus says that to truly experience God, to perceive what God is doing, to be part of God's kingdom, you must be born again. And that's a phrase that survives today. And this is where it comes from in John chapter 3. Anybody ever heard the phrase born again Christian? This is where it gets its start. And in the original Greek, the word again can also mean from above. Jesus says that to follow him, you have to be born from above. When you come to faith in Jesus, it's like your spiritual life starts over as an infant. You're a spiritual newborn. And so this concept of being born again is all throughout the New Testament, that we have to grow up in the faith, into maturity. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So for Jesus, he's saying, in order to access God, you have to be born of water and spirit. What, is, what does that mean? These two things are connected. In the very first book of the Bible, we see the spirit of God hovering over the waters of the earth. In baptism, the water is used as a sign of cleansing by the power of the Holy Spirit. So being born again, being born of water and spirit means to have your, your sins be cleansed 
through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then to keep you from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not by our own willpower alone that we resist sin. The life of a Christian is not just trying real hard all on your own, but only through the grace that God provides through the Holy Spirit. And the opposition between our sinful desires, what Jesus refers to as the flesh, and God's best desires for us, or the Spirit, this is reflected in the language that Jesus uses with Nicodemus. And so this concept of the sinful desires of the flesh kind of in opposition and in tension with the good desires of God, of the Spirit, that's another theme throughout the whole New Testament. The sins of the flesh are all around us. An insatiable desire for more. God's good creation of physical intimacy being twisted into something for public consumption that we can access anywhere and everywhere on our devices. The violence that dominates our headlines and the threat of violence that haunts our children. The consequences of the sins of the flesh are all around us. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> when's, when's the holiday sauce coming? I think it's pretty self-evident that on our own, we see the consequences of the sins of the flesh. So it's pretty obvious that we need another birth from above. We need a power outside of ourselves to get us out of the mess we find ourselves in. When Jesus says we must be born of water and the Spirit, my favorite biblical scholar, William Barclay, puts it so well. Sometimes I read something and I'm like, yeah, I can't do any better than that. So I wanted to read it to you. He said, water is the symbol of cleansing. When Jesus takes possession of our lives, when we love him with all our heart, the sins of the past are forgiven and forgotten. The spirit is the symbol of power. When Jesus takes possession of our lives, it is not only that the past is forgotten and forgiven. If that were all, we might well proceed to make the same mess of life all over again. But into life there enters a new power, which enables us to be what by ourselves we could never be, and to do what by ourselves we could never do. Water and spirit stand for the cleansing and strengthening power of Christ, which wipes out the past and gives victory in the future. That's what Jesus means by being born of water and spirit. So how does this work, Jesus? The question of Nicodemus still echoes in our, in our minds all these centuries later. How can someone be born a second time? And Jesus' reply in his classic style is both very plain and at the same time enigmatic. This is what he says. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now I went down this whole rabbit hole about how wind is caused by the uneven cooling and heating of the earth. But I'm going to spare you the, the diagram here. And simply to say, just like the wind, so much of the Holy Spirit's operation is a mystery. Like the wind, we can't control it, we can't predict it. So this whole process is mysterious. Why are some people receptive to the Holy Spirit and others are not? It's a mystery. Why do we feel out of step with God's Spirit even when we prayerfully desire it? A mystery. Why are some people healed physically or spiritually and some aren't? That's a mystery. How is it that God's Spirit works in our lives before we're even aware of it? Also a mystery. How is it that God's Spirit joins with ours when we declare Jesus is Lord? That's a mystery. 
and how God's Holy Spirit continues to guide and comfort and correct us as we grow from spiritual infants up into maturity is a mysterious process. This is the first of three aspects to help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. And I picked three, not because that's an exhaustive list, but that's what we have time for. And the people said, that's right. One, the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Writing to the early church, one of the founders of the Christian faith, his name was Paul. He said he hoped that they may know the mystery of God. And that same author said that on this side of eternity, in our current human condition, that we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. And then later, he said, that someday we will see everything with perfect clarity. So there's this tension between knowing and experiencing the mystery of God's spirit, but not in a way we've tamed or totally dissected. Basil the Great, not a chef, but a theologian, he said this of the Holy Spirit, he is inaccessible in nature, but approachable in goodness. And he said the things that participate in him, that's us, enjoy him to the extent that their nature allows, not to the extent that his power allows. In other words, the Holy Spirit is unlimited in its capacity for wisdom and power and goodness. We are limited in our ability to perceive it. But that does not mean that the Spirit is imperceivable completely. And this is the second aspect, that we can perceive the Holy Spirit at work and that the Spirit is a guide. Before his departure from earth and his ascension into heaven, Jesus told his disciples, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And then later he said, Jesus did, when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. The Holy Spirit actively reminds us of the truth, of who God is and who we are as God's children born of water and spirit. The Holy Spirit can guide us towards comfort when we suffer and we're asking the big questions of why. Why does this happen? The Holy Spirit can also correct us into being guided back to the truth when we're choosing the flesh over the spirit. The complexities of life are many. I used to have a friend I worked with in ministry and um, his name was Ken. I, I, I bring him up from time to time as a little tribute to him. Now, Ken, I think, had been smoking since he was seven years old. And he had this raspy voice like this. And he would say to our little seventh grade confirmands, the Bible stands B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And I would just, I would just cringe. <laughs> but they ate it up. I think the Bible's actually a little more complicated than that. I don't find it basic. All the answers are not found in the back of the book. And so in the scriptures, it tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us grow in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. The Holy Spirit's a guide. Sarah and I teach our children that the Holy Spirit can work through the voice of their conscience, telling them what, what they should or shouldn't do. The Holy Spirit is a mystery and a guide, and it's only made possible for us to perceive because the Holy Spirit is a giver of gifts. That's what I have time to help define for us. Who is the Holy Spirit? A mystery, a guide, and a giver of gifts. If you have some familiarity with church culture, or depending on what tradition you were raised in, you might associate a gift of the Spirit with speaking in some type of spiritual language. 
The New Testament talks about this. But I want to expand our definition of what a spiritual gift is. I want to expand the list of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. We've already seen that the Holy Spirit gives us a new birth from above. But it was through the Holy Spirit that the scriptures were inspired. That Holy Spirit can speak to us when we read these inspired scriptures. The Holy Spirit can speak through people. And it can speak through us as well. The Holy Spirit gives us practices like worship that we're in today, like prayer and many more. And these are how we can know the mysteries of God. These are when we set time aside and have these practices for God to inhabit. Then we can be guided into comfort and correction and discernment. The Holy Spirit also gives us the gift of places. My my mentor and pastor, Michael McIntyre, described thin places. We'll talk about this more next week. Now, maybe, maybe this sanctuary is, a, I hope it's a, pl- a thin place for you where the line between earth and heaven is a bit thinner. Maybe you have another place, a church camp or uh, your grandma's farm or, or whatever, a place where you experience God. We're going to spend all next week on these concepts of spiritual gifts and that you probably have access to more than you think you do, that the list is pretty long. But for today, the Holy Spirit is a gift giver And those gifts often come in the form of materials like the Bible, persons, practices, and places. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts for us to be able to perceive what the Spirit is up to. Nicodemus knew lots of things about God. He was in the most dedicated class of people who went to extreme lengths to dedicate themselves to every little nuance of the Jewish law. Jesus upended all of that when he told them, you won't see the kingdom of God unless you're in touch with the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. As someone who has pursued a 96-hour master's degree in a religious subject, it's very disturbing to me that simple knowledge about God is not the same as actually knowing God. The difference between knowing about God and knowing God is the Holy Spirit. As your pastor, what I hope to show you as a church, what we hope to give you are opportunities to personally experience the Holy Spirit at work in your life. I see a lot of my own story in John 3. Like I said, Nicodemus is so steeped in his tradition, he thinks that he can just know God by association. And as someone who works in a religious industry, I'm, I'm here a lot. And it's easy to think that, well, just, I'm just, I can kind of know God by association. As a pastor's kid and now a pastor, I have to fight the same instinct that Nicodemus had. And so to, to, to close, close up the sermon today, I wanted to offer some times that I've seen the Spirit at work in my own life and, and in our church community. Every so often I, I get little nudges. Um, someone just comes to mind seemingly randomly. And over time I've learned to try and follow up on those because I've regretted when I haven't. A lot of times that will just come in the form of a text. Hey, how's it going? You doing okay? Or, man, you just kind of came to mind. How's it, how, how are you? And sometimes there'll be some type of crisis or a celebration. And it's just kind of funny how that works. I don't think it's coincidence. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out great. Like one time I had this dream and I thought it was like prophetic. And um, she's like 28 now, one of my former youth group students. I dreamt that she was pregnant. And so I called her. I was like, Grace, I had this dream. Are you pregnant? And she was like, no. (laughs) So I felt kind of creepy. Now, she does have a kid now, so I was just early. 
So it doesn't always work out. I don't, again, mysterious. I don't know how it works. But I've learned over time, man, don't, don't, those little nudges aren't just coincidences. We've had folks at church uh, who've, who've, who've approached the church and said, hey, I, I, just, I feel this call to give this monetary amount, and I want you all to, to give it to somebody who really needs it. And then around that same time, maybe slightly before or soon after, someone comes to the church just not human, just very humbly to say, we're at our wit's end, we, we need help. See, we don't talk about this during the offering, right? We can't say, hey, here's somebody who needed a new furnace. But I'm telling y'all, this church is amazingly generous, and there have been incredible coincidences that I think are the spirit at work. And we've been able to meet real needs because people just responded to this instinct they had, the spirit at work in their lives. Uh, it's amazing. I, you know, Tess, where, where's she at? Yep. You know, I'm sure if you talk to people from last week, they'll tell you, oh, man, this or that really spoke to me. And you're like, no, I didn't plan that, right? Now, of course, you just, in real time, you nod and say, oh, I'm so glad. But it's amazing how God can use the same thing to speak to different people. But, but some of these things we, we, don't, we don't always publicize, but the Spirit's at work in our church community all the time. Last summer, our leadership team gathered for a retreat, and we'd been preparing for a vision for our church, you know, just coming out of the pandemic, beyond survival. And as part of the leadership team, and, and as the pastor of the church, it's, it's, it is my job to cast vision, but this ain't my church. It's our church. And so, so we do this together. We seek God's will together. And I had really prayed and spent a lot of time reading and praying and, and uh, just preparing for this, this day together with leaders from our church. And I wasn't sleeping well. And on the morning of the retreat, I woke up uh, and I've got a clip from my phone. I'm a psycho, so I sleep with my phone next to my bed. And at 2.14 in the morning, I just started jotting down some stuff. And then the next day, this was, so this was kind of the culmination of just thoughts and, and um, preparation. And I had that literally in my pocket, but I didn't want to just bust that out on the team. But as we sat and kind of compared and shared what we felt God had been leading us through in this process, it was incredible how, how both my 2 a.m. thoughts and what the leadership team had on their hearts just came together. And so these are early versions of what ended up becoming our vision statement that we perfected together. And as they all shared, I was almost in tears because of the agreement that we had. You know, Jesus said, where, where two or more are gathered, there I am also. And there's some biblical scholars who think uh, that harkens back to the old Jewish tradition of a testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, in this day and age, it's an incredible thing for people to actually agree. It's a minor miracle. And so to have agreement among people seeking the Spirit is a key sign of the Spirit's presence. And so we had the leadership team all articulating the same thing that the Spirit had been leading them in. Now, friends, how all of this works is a mystery to me, except when people submit to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and when we rely on the gifts of the Spirit that God has provided for our benefit, we can know the mysteries of God. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today and what it represents. We thank you for this appointment with you. 
God, whatever we bring in with us today, we know that you are big enough to receive all of it. We ask that your spirit would continue to fill this place and fill our lives. That we could be guided into greater love for you and for our neighbor. God, help us to be patient when your presence seems more mysterious to us. Help us to seek after you, to follow after you through the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for this community of faith. Thank you for the people in our lives that have mothered us and been mentors for us in those roles. God, help us to be people born of water and the spirit, not through our own power and will, but the grace which only you can provide. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.